We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. We're going to kind of finish up the chapter, sort of, and then uh, go back and, and touch on a couple things again in, in the next couple weeks. But uh, I'm going to start this morning by asking kind of a dangerous question for me to be asking uh, because of where I'm standing right now and what I'm doing right now. But how many of you have heard a bad sermon? Okay. Uh, see? Uh, maybe even just a uh, bad or boring presentation of some kind, right? We've all kind of been there, right? I've, be- I've been standing here and heard a bad sermon because it was me. Um, but one of the challenges of this role in a church, like what I'm doing right now in a church, one of the challenges of doing it week in, week out, uh, is a phrase that pastors like to say to each other about the kind of joy and the grind of uh, this, this calling, uh, is that Sunday is always coming. Sunday is always coming. So you may not know it, but I'm going to say the last benediction, and we're going to do the communion, and we'll do all that stuff. And then uh, this afternoon, I'll be at the Arts Festival in Arbutus, and then I'll go to bed tonight, and I'll be exhausted, and I'll be tired, and then I'll wake up tomorrow, and Sunday's coming again. Uh, and that's just, that's a blessing. It's a ma- like, I can't believe I get to do this, right? I, sometimes I sit in my office, and I'm reading a commentary, and I think, I, I can't believe I get like, paid to do this. It's amazing. But it's also, there's also that side of it that's kind of a grind. It's every week, for the most part, um, that, that's something that uh, you do. So by the time even I get in the car to go to lunch or whatever today, uh, I'll be thinking about the text for next week, and it'll just be in my mind. So in that sense, it's kind of a grind. But there's, again, another sense in which it's very freeing. Next week, I get to do this again. So if this isn't very good today, then next week, I'll take another shot at it. Uh, And so it's life-giving to know that Sunday is always coming as well. Now, for those of us who have preached regularly or if you've been part of a preaching team before in the past, there's always the memories. Talk to anybody who's preached before. There's always the memory of those first couple of sermons or that first sermon that you preached. Um, Generally, when you ask someone who is a preacher or who does teaching about their first sermon or their first couple lessons, they kind of shudder. Like, oh, man, I can't Right, they, they they think back on it like, ooh, it was not it was not what I wanted it to be. Uh, I've told the story here. I think of my very first sermon, and I think I was just into Bible college. I had been serving at my church for a number of years in high school, and my pastor, who is still the pastor of this church, uh, got up on the platform. Maybe this is why I'm so like I want to use an iPad or a computer. It's stuck with me, and I have PTSD from using paper because. He walked up on the platform before, right before I got up and shuffled all my pages as kind of a prank. And it was, kind of, it was funny, but also it was terrifying in the moment because I wasn't smart enough to put page numbers. And so I had to go through all that. Uh, and so that sermon was rough. It was rough. Thank, thankfully, there was no recording back then. There was no live stream. Um, but it was rough. And then I also think of the first sermon I preached Uh, After I'd been hired out of my kind of first ministry-paid vocational position out of Bible college, I was the worship pastor. I wasn't a teaching pastor, but I got asked to preach on Palm Sunday, and I had 30 minutes, and I prepared, and I thought I was ready, and then I got up, and it lasted eight minutes. And so then we had to figure out what to do with the rest of the time, and since I was the worship pastor, I just said, let's sing another song, and uh, that worked out. And so for most of us who have done this or who are teaching Our first few sermons are usually not very good. But what we see today is similar to what we saw last week in that the Holy Spirit can overcome anything he needs to overcome to get the message of Jesus out there. And today, the Holy Spirit overcomes this reality of this being Peter's, really his first sermon. And this is probably his best sermon ever, right? 
apart from Jesus' own sermons, this might be the greatest sermon ever preached. If you think about effectiveness and if you think about what happened in this moment, we might say greatest because of the place that it holds in the history of redemption. Uh, we, this is really the first distinctly Christian sermon that's preached. And as Peter preached it, he's actually fulfilling the prophecy that he mentions in the sermon. So pretty epic sermon. Uh, and if you think about it, the fact that it was even just a decent sermon is pretty amazing because 50 days earlier... Peter had committed the greatest act of kind of denial of Christ in the history of redemption. Peter actually had the position of first among equals among the apostles at this point, and you kind of see that in the book of Acts. He was always first in everything. He was the first one on the water. He was the first one to open his mouth, usually most, a lot of times not good. First with the sword, uh, first to make uh, really foolish presumptions like, Lord, even if everybody else leaves you, I'll never deny you. I'll never leave you. Um, and so Peter is this guy who is kind of filled with pride as, as we see him. And he's kind of a, he's, he's, he's a lot like us. And, and if you know the story, this pride then leads him to this incredible moment of falling when he denies Christ. And then we read that he weeps bitterly. So that's the guy 50 days ago who now is the spokesperson for the birth of the church. Incredible, right? Part of that is because he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, and that'll change you. And part of that is because the Holy Spirit does what he does. And so somehow Peter's experiences had prepared him for this moment. Uh, we have to understand that this was not an easy or inviting situation for his first sermon. I was trying to think back if I've had any experience where I got up to preach, and it was like, oh man, this is tense. And the only thing I could think of is uh, in Orlando, many of you might remember the Pulse nightclub shooting that happened. I know we just had a couple shootings in the news over the last 24 hours. But I got up to preach that day. I wasn't the, the senior pastor, I was the youth pastor, but it was my turn to preach that day. And as I was like sitting in the front row, one of the elders leaned over to me and said, you know, 50 people have been killed in this shooting. And so like I heard that and then I got up to preach and it was like, do I say something about this? Everybody's thinking about it. Do I not? Do I just go with the text? And so that's a, as close as I can get to, to being in kind of a situation that's a little tense to preach in. But Peter's in a situation where, remember, 50 days earlier, the Jews had murdered the leader that Peter is now talking about and preaching. And he was murdered by slow torture and got, they got away with it. And so there's a crowd that we know was at least 3,000 people because of what happens in Peter's sermon, and it was much bigger than that. And we know that what they've come to do is see, kind of, they've kind of heard about this strange stuff going on, and now they want to know what's going on. And so it's a weird mood. It's a little tense for sermon for Peter to stand up and to preach. Not an easy situation, and yet Peter did his greatest preaching in that moment, in that occasion so today I just want to look at why his sermon was so great, and there's just two points to it. So I'm going to read the text. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. Uh, we're not going to cover all of that in detail, but we'll get most of that. And so let me just read Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, I would encourage you to open one up in front of you or scroll to one because we're going to reference this text a lot, and uh, it's not on the screen, so you'll want that in front of you. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Now, remember, last week, this is the accusation that some of them are, they must have had new wine. This is crazy. The Holy Spirit's doing his thing, and they must be drunk. 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Highlight that verse in your Bible if you have a highlighter and a paper Bible. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You make me full of gladness in your presence. Verse 29, and we're almost there. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We'll wrap that. Uh, we'll wrap it up there for today. So what specifically made this sermon by Peter great, which I just read to you, so now I should just say, amen, Peter preached a sermon today, but now I'm going to preach my sermon, and it won't be as good as Peter's, but stick with me, right? What made his sermon great? First, he simply just explained what was happening to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he explained what had happened. So he explained that what they were seeing was simply a fulfillment of prophetic Scriptures, verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, he says. So remember from last week, this crowd is full of devout Jews from all over the world. And so they would be familiar with what the prophet Joel, who, with the prophet Joel who Peter is talking about here. So he knows his audience, right? He's like, Joel told us about this. You guys know about this. You're devout Jews. This is what Joel told us about. Then in verses 17 to 21, 
Peter actually quotes Joel 2, 28 uh, through 32, which describes this sort of the, the whole range of this new age that Peter is talking about in which we live. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, he quotes from Joel 2, and it says there, in the last days it shall be, God declares, and then ending with uh, the, the female servants and the male servants prophesying. And, and so all this was present that day in various ways among this group of apostles. P- Peter's life is explicitly sort of manifesting these things in this moment, in this sermon, right? And, and as the following chapters are going to record, Peter's life manifests this prophecy. He prophesied. Peter was caught up in dreams, and we'll get to that, and visions. And what we see back in the Old Testament was that there, there had been no provision for in the Old Testament, no promise of in the Old Testament, this sort of presence of the Holy Spirit that stays with you forever. This is why King David would pray in his repentant psalm, Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost changes that. Changes that. One, uh, There's a worship leader in Florida, in Orlando, who I used to go to a kind of a prayer group with, and he would mentor some of us. And he used to have this thing that he would say that you know, at Pentecost, we switched, spiritually speaking, from having pay phones to having cell phones. Like, we don't have to go to this place anymore to connect with God. The Spirit of God is now with us all the time. And sure, that's kind of a cheesy metaphor, but it's helpful. Right? This is why David, again, prayed, don't take your spirit from me. But at Pentecost, that's all changed. Jesus, remember his promises in John 14 and in John 16, he says, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Then in John 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, the helper, the paraclete will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so with the coming of the Holy Spirit comes the Spirit's indwelling. We talked about this last week, filling, baptizing, sealing. This is something new. This is inaugurating a new chapter in the history of redemption, if you will. This is something incredible, dynamic. This is different. And so Joel's prophecy that Peter is quoting here not only tells of the sort of the dawn of this era of this time, it also tells of the end of this era as it describes what it calls the day of the Lord. Look back at verses 19 and 20 in Acts 2, where he's again quoting, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before, I know everybody loves the blood moon thing right now, right? But don't get caught up in it. The most important part of this is going to come in a little bit. The day of the, 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 and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. So the, the, we could do a whole thing on the day of the Lord. That's a big theme in the Bible. But this, the, this age, this church age is going to come to a close or going to change at this day of the Lord. This is a special moment of God's glory and his justice and his power. It, it's in Peter's use of Joel's prophecy that we see sort of the grounding of the greatness of Peter's sermon. He is saturated in Scripture. Right? Peter didn't have a, a, a computer in front of him. He didn't have notes. He didn't know he was going to preach this day. And Peter stood up, and he was already filled with, saturated with the Scriptures. He knew Joel's messianic prophecy by heart, and the Holy Spirit said, 
this is it. And he stood up and he preached. He, he was a guy who was full of and saturated with God's word. And it was this moment that, that all of that had led up to. He, he wasn't eloquent in his speech. He hadn't been to seminary, but he had spent time with Jesus and been transformed by him. And he knew his scriptures and the Holy Spirit acted in that moment. So, so not only was, again, Peter full of the word, but he was full of the spirit. The very scripture that Peter quoted is actually describing what's happening in the moment that he's quoting it in Acts chapter 2. The, the upper room promise from Jesus of the coming of another helper, one just like Jesus, is being fulfilled right here. Being full of the Spirit. And this is something that we really have to grasp when we think about the presence of Jesus in the world. Being full of the Spirit, Peter is speaking as if Christ is speaking to this group of people. This is why this sermon is so great. So when we apply this to our own lives, here, here's what we need to realize. There is a very close connection between being filled with the Spirit, right? Everybody wants that. I want to hear the audible voice of God. I want to be full of the Spirit, see supernatural stuff. We love that. But there's this intimate connection between being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word, Ephesians 5. These are two of my favorite texts when I was a worship pastor. Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. Here's what we're doing when we're singing. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3, the same idea. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So when we're singing on a Sunday morning, it's not an audience of one. Yes, our worship is for one God only, but we are not to an audience of one. We're to an audience of this room. We're teaching one another, admonishing one another. It's not only good for you to hear other people singing that it builds you up, but it's good for them to hear you singing. This is why we're in a community together and the Spirit is moving. And so as we fill ourselves with God's Word together, as we submit to it, we make ourselves available like Peter for the work of the Holy Spirit. What do we do? We put ourselves under that faucet. We lift our sail to the wind of the Spirit and we say Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And I have to tell you, I had this feeling, this sense, the, uh, a, a week ago Monday, so a week ago from tomorrow, uh, last Monday, I was in this room and we had a community meeting in here, and I just had this sense of like, Lord, it seems like something is happening in the life of our church. I had a meeting this week where me and the other person were saying the same kind of thing. It seems like something's kind of happening. And I was struck with, Lord, Holy Spirit, do what you do, because I'm not 100% sure what this means or how this is going to work, but I know you know, and so Holy Spirit, you do what you do, and we'll be ready. And so Peter then moves from explaining what has happened in here to taking that by the power of the Holy Spirit and explaining Jesus. He gets to Jesus, which is the mark of a good sermon. He moves from explaining what had happened to again explaining about Jesus. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. 
as you yourselves know. What, what is Peter saying? He's like, hey, you guys heard about Jesus. You saw what he did. You saw the signs he performed. You know what I'm talking about. Signs and wonders would validate the claims of Jesus as God. And so the person of Jesus as depicted in the gospel, if you haven't read the gospels lately, read them. The person of Jesus is amazing in the gospels. That's why one of the easiest things you can do when you're sharing your faith with someone is just read the Gospels with them, particularly John, right? It's an easy one to get into, and the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God and you as the people of God, he'll, he'll work right before your eyes. So that's a challenge. Next time you're like, I, I want to share my faith with this person I don't know what to do, invite them to read the Gospel with you because it's full of Jesus, And so Peter then describes the death of Jesus from both a human and a divine perspective. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And I know that's a hot topic. We're not going there today. He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he's emphasizing here, Peter is, both the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man. Those are not mutually exclusive. We can live in that tension and, and, and there are some who would shy away from opening that theological can of worms, but Peter opens it wide up. Why? Because he knew his audience. The Jewish people couldn't fathom the idea of a crucified Messiah. The Messiah is not going to be crucified in shame. No way. But Peter shows his audience that Jesus didn't die as a victim with no purpose, right? Jesus laid down his life in fulfillment of the sovereign plan of God. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I will pick it back up again. And at the same time, the Bible doesn't teach what would be called fatalism, that everything is just set in its course and you can't do anything. Every person is accountable for your own actions. And so because of this reality, Peter reminds his audience that they were responsible for Christ's crucifixion. I had a picture I wanted to show you that kind of illustrates this idea because this is still true. You and I are just as responsible through our own sins as Peter's audience was for the death of Jesus. Mark, I don't know if you can pull that picture up. That would be great. Thank you. So I wanted to show you this painting. This is by Rembrandt. If you don't know Rembrandt, he's famous for his use of light in his art, and you can see that here. Uh, This is a picture. I know it's small on the screens, but this is a picture of uh, Jesus as he is being raised up on the cross. And if you can go to that next picture, Mark, we'll zoom in just a little bit. And if you notice, the man at the foot of Jesus, at, at Jesus' feet, that's Rembrandt himself. And so Rembrandt is painting this painting saying, I am culpable for the death of Jesus. This is the idea that Rembrandt is is kind of describing here. We sing this sometimes in one of the songs we sing. It was my sin that held him there. That we, like the people that Peter is preaching to here, have a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus. And yet at the same time, Jesus went willingly because he loves you and he wanted to bring glory to God the Father And as the great Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it. But then, of course, right, because this is a a good sermon. Peter doesn't stop at the death of Jesus, and neither will we. Peter then tells them about the amazing thing that God has done in spite of and in response to their sin and your sin and my sin. So if you're wondering, how does God respond to sin ultimately? Here it is. 
Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by death, right? So did you hear that part? Make sure you heard that part. Death could not hold Jesus. And so I, I hope you put the dots together of what that means if you, by faith, are united with Christ. If you are in Christ and if death could not hold Christ, then for you and for me, if we trust Jesus, that means death cannot hold you. And it will not hold you. In my own life, as I was thinking about this, both the, earlier this week preparing and then this morning as I was going over this and praying, in my own life, when I think about people that I love who have died but who were in Christ, Death will not be able to hold them on that great day of the Lord that we talked about. There's coming a bodily resurrection from the dead for those who trust in Jesus and who are found in him. So now Peter goes back to scripture and now he's going to quote Psalm 16. He says in Acts 2.25, For David says concerning him, quote, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is prophetic. Christ was the promised one in Psalm 16. And what does Peter say? You can visit David's tomb... We know where his tomb is. You can find his remains, but Christ's tomb is empty. The Messiah's tomb is empty. And after focusing on the resurrection, Peter turns his attention then to risen Jesus himself. 32, and this Jesus God raised up, and then he says, and of that we are all witnesses. Remember, this is the title that Jesus gave to his followers. You will be my witnesses. Here it is again. Now here Peter mentions this idea of witness, not only for that reason, but also mainly because there is a very strong importance all over the Gospels and in the ministry of the Apostles of eyewitness accounts. It's an important thing. And so the Gospel writers used eyewitnesses as their sources of choice for writing these because it maintains historical integrity. And so Peter then next ties the events of Pentecost to Jesus' ascension in verse 33, and he, again, he's quoting a psalm. Peter is full of the Old Testament scriptures. He says in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's saying it's happening right now. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now the early church loved Psalm 110. They loved it. David looked forward to one greater than himself. Jesus himself quoted this psalm in Luke chapter 20 when uh, he pointed to himself as the one who would sit on the throne forever. And so Peter then concludes his sermon, and this is the confession of the early church. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Christ is that title, Messiah, the chosen one. He's both Lord and Christ. See, Peter didn't try to water down the gospel. He didn't domesticate Jesus. He said, Jesus is Lord and you should bow to him. You should submit your life to him. 
But he's also preaching here with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who is inviting everyone who heard this to consider the same thing as I want to invite all of us to consider, whether it's for the first time or the millionth time, to consider as you hear my words even now. And that's summed up back in verse 21 of Acts 2, as we said, and it shall come to pass. This is the time that it has come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the question that I hope lingers in your heart and your mind as you leave here today, maybe you're watching this later online, you're listening on our podcast, is simply that. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you trusted in Jesus? Look now at how this reality moves the hearts of Peter's listeners. 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You have to do something with the news about Jesus. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? They didn't even wait for an invitation. They didn't wait for Peter to wrap up his three points in his poem and say, now come down front, which actually I'm going to do in a little bit. They didn't even wait for that. They were cut to the heart. They were pierced because they, they realized we need this salvation that he's talking about. That they wanted to be free from the power of sin and death over their own lives. And Peter tells them exactly what should happen if that's what they want. He says to them the same thing that has been said to all of us throughout the history of the church. And that is repent. Turn away from your sin. Trust in Jesus. Peter says repent and be baptized. This is actually the same thing if you want to read in Romans 10. Where we're told that is, uh, where what we're told is that we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, we will be saved. Salvation is personal, but it's never private. And Peter wants these 3,000 who heard and responded that day to know that Jesus isn't just interested in your private spirituality alone. He is calling you to make him Lord of your whole life, private and public, and that's what baptism is about. So as we close today, I don't want to miss this opportunity. You never know who's in the room, who's watching online. And I want to make this invitation as clear as Peter made his. If, like the crowd in this text, you are cut to the heart and you're thinking in your own heart and mind, what do I do? Repent. Come to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Bring all your junk with you and come to him. Trust in him. So if that's you, you're feeling the Holy Spirit moving in this room right now, and and you, you feel like, Man, I thought I was already a believer, but I'm realizing I've moved from unbelief to belief that I just want to encourage you in the strongest way I can to not let today go by without telling someone. And so I'm going to speak a blessing over us as I do every week. We're going to take a few minutes to greet one another. We're going to have communion and a few announcements. But if you've trusted in Jesus today... I just want to invite you to come grab a seat in the front row. I'd love to pray with you. If you just need prayer, I would love to do that as well. Um, And and maybe you're like, I have trusted Jesus, but I've never taken that step of baptism. I want to let you know that that's an important step in your spiritual walk. And so I'd invite you to do the same thing. Come and grab a seat here. I want to walk you through that step of obedience to Jesus, your Lord, in your life. So let me pray to wrap up. I'm going to speak a, uh, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to, we're going to switch things up this week. If you've been coming for a little while, we're going to speak the mystery of our faith together as we close our public service. And then we'll take a few minutes. We'll have some announcements. We'll take communion together. Uh, And I just want to invite you to, to, if you're in the room and you're going to take communion, don't quite grab your communion elements yet. We've got a few announcements we want to give you. And I know it's kind of hard to hold a little cracker in the cup. 
So just pause, and I'll let you know when it's the right time. But uh, why don't you stand, and I'm going to invite you to proclaim the mystery of our faith, which is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And we're going to close our service by proclaiming this together as God's church here in this place. So let's say that mystery of our faith together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. Let's take the next few minutes and greet one another, and we'll have just a few announcements in a minute or two.